Hey everybody, it's episode 6 of About Nashville. Uh, today I want to talk to you about, uh, well the first thing I want to talk to you about is if you are in or around Nashville, I want to tell you something fun that you can do. Uh, if you're around here, I want you to go to uh, Centennial Park. And in Centennial Park, uh, they have a, a, a display called, it's not a display, it's huge, it's, it's called the Parthenon, and it's inside the Centennial Park. And this thing, it's huge. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's an exact replica of the Parthenon in Greece. Uh, and in it, there is a 42-foot statue of Athena. Um, it, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's cool. You can go to the park. You can walk your dog. You can jog. You can uh, you can you can play your guitar. You can you can do whatever. Or just on a beautiful day and just hang out with your family. But it's it, it's the only exact replica uh, of the uh, Parthenon in Greece. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. So. Go by there, check it out. Uh, next thing that I want to bring up is um, that uh, it's the new new TV show Nashville is now back on the air. And uh, the thing about the TV show Nashville about about it about being about it being back on the air. Boy, I'm getting a little bit tongue tied there. Blah blah blah. blah. But 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 about it being back on the air. There's a lot of bees in that, isn't it? Um, what I'm trying to say is there was a scene in Nashville this last week where uh, Deacon and um, and Connie or not Connie that's not her name in the show Deacon and uh, Raina Raina James uh, they they were getting bombarded by paparazzi as they were coming out of this building and they were getting in their car and Deacon throws a, a camera down and blah 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 well the weird part about that is if that had really happened in Nashville it wouldn't have happened in Nashville. There are no paparazzi in Nashville. I mean, so supposedly TMZ has moved here, but uh, the truth of the matter is um, it just wouldn't be put up with. Uh, we do not have paparazzi around here in Nashville like that, and they we would not allow that to happen. Uh, if somebody started doing stupid things like that here in Nashville, uh, they'd get shut down very quickly. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, that's one of the reasons why stars like to come to Nashville. They like to come here. They like to live here. They like to visit here. Uh, they like to hang out here. And the reason being is they can go into places and people treat them like normal people. And that is one of the reasons why. So the first time that they started getting hammered with paparazzi, then I guess that would be a whole other issue. My guess is they'd start getting hammered back. I could just see somebody uh, trying to do that to, to, to Trace Adkins or somebody like that. They, but Trace Adkins would fold them up and put them in a suitcase and mail them back to Los Angeles, so it'd be the end of that. So, um, I've said my piece on those two cents, and now uh, I have got to uh, I got to ask you something, Natalie. Uh, Natalie's my five-year-old daughter, and I've had her on the last couple of episodes, and people like hearing what she has to say. Uh, but I have something that I, I want to ask you and find out if um, I can get down to the bottom of this. Now, is it true that you have a boyfriend Yes. What? <laughs> what? You have a boyfriend? Uh-huh. No, you do not. Uh-huh. You have a boyfriend? Yes. What's his name? Adler. Adler? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Where did this take place? Where, <laughs> how did, now, your mama said that you said that you had a boyfriend, but this is the first that I'm actually getting clarification on this. So, who is Adler? How old is he? And where did you meet him? I met him at when I was four years old at my old school, and 
Certainly, it was pretty weird. He didn't ask me. It was pretty weird. I don't. Want so, 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 how do you know that that he's your boyfriend? Because he told me. He said, "Hey, by the way, I'm your boyfriend." <laughs> Is that right? Is it yes or no? Yes. Okay. So, what did you say whenever he said, "Hey, you're you're you're"? Or did he say, "I'm your boyfriend"? Or did he say, "You're my girlfriend"? You're my um, no. He said, "I'm your boyfriend." And what did you say to that? Did you say, "Okay, I'm your girlfriend"? But I said that was awkward. <laughs> So he looks at you and he says, you're my girlfriend. And you just looked at him and goes, okay, that's awkward. Is that right? Is that it, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, how long ago was that? About a very long time ago. Oh, okay. So you really don't have a boyfriend. You just had a guy claiming to be your boyfriend, right? No. We were boyfriend and girlfriend. He just likes talking about it. Oh, he, so he was just talking about it, okay? So y'all didn't, like, hold hands or anything like that? Well, we did hold hands, but not much. Okay, that does not make Daddy happy. Um, he doesn't go to your school now, though, right? No. Good thing. Right? Hello? You there? <laughs> When's the last time you saw Adler? About a year ago? About on my birthday is the only day I get He came to your birthday? He always birthdays. Okay. But the birthday is the only way I get to see him. Well, good. Well, let's keep it that way. That'll be the only boyfriend you'll have. Adler, will, will Adler remain being your boyfriend, and the only time you ever see him is on your birthday when Mom and Dad are with you, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get to this interview. Uh, it's with Casey. Bond, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> The honky tonk hit man. Welcome to AboutNashville.net with your host, the honky tonk hit man, Mike Rogers. Um, so... Is it good? Is it Yeah, we already started. Okay. So, <laughs> seamless, painless. Um, where are you from? Well, I was born in Pacifica, California, which is part of San Francisco, just outside the city. But I grew up in Peachtree City, Georgia. Only lived in Pacifica for about a year. Really? Mm -hmm. What? what why, why was your family there? Both of them? Yep. They both worked in the airlines. They worked for Delta for years. They're both retired now, but my 
how they meet? Two planes? Well, two crossing two events? Two <laughs> okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, one of those, uh, it's funny to hear them uh, tell their story. What's your mom's story and what's your dad's story? Well, I, to, to put it in short, my mom's story is a little less of her flirting with him. <laughs> and uh, my dad's story is a lot more of her flirting with him. <laughs> so, um, and you know, she just gets embarrassed every time. But they, they met, um, you know, through the airlines, and um, they had me, you know, shortly after they were married. My parents are, uh, I'm an only child, my dad is. So you're spoiled. I'm not spoiled. <laughs> See, I have a different perspective on only children, too. Okay. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so my dad is, you know, 75 years old, and you put that in perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, my dad's 80, so yeah. Yeah, I get that. So they, they had me a little bit later uh, in life, and then we, after I turned one, we moved up to Washington State and lived there for, until I was about in fourth grade, and then moved to Georgia, and uh, I pretty much grew up in Georgia. So I'm an older father. I mean, I'm 45, and I got a five-year-old, and, and you, you just said that you had an older father. What was it like growing up, having an older father, father you know, whenever you were going to school and you were taking dad and everything, what was it, you know? Um, I didn't know the difference at all. Really? No, I didn't. And uh, my dad was really active. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he was a Marine, he played. Oh, wow. He was a Marine in Vietnam, you know, played college football at the University of Minnesota. And he must be a big dude. Solid. Yeah, solid, and goes and still goes and works out every day at the gym. But I mean, very, very active. He did everything with me. We'd throw, we'd, we'd do everything mm -hmm. together. And, uh, did he teach you how to play baseball? Um, he, had, he had a big hand in it. He was he wasn't as much of a baseball player um, growing up and everything. He was more football, and, and you know, he played some golf and, and hockey. Um, but you know, I, I went and had a Really? Did you yeah. play football at all? I didn't play football. I actually wanted to when I was younger, but my dad wouldn't let me. What? Yeah, he didn't want me to get hurt. Um, he wanted, I guess he played and just kind of knew how, how rough it could be, and I think he wanted me to focus on baseball and basketball and soccer and different sports. And then if I wanted to play later, he, um, he probably would have been fine with it. And by the time I got to high school, I kind of wanted to play, but I hadn't played as much growing up, and the coaches every year, they'd ask me to, to come out, please come out and play, because I was just an athlete, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, would, you know, play wide receiver or try for quarterback, but um, I was so focused on baseball and basketball, I just remained at that, and I was like, I'm going to play baseball, you know, ever since I was five, I was like, I'm going to play pro baseball, and that's what I want to do, so. When you were five years old, you said, I'm going to play pro baseball. I, Every five-year-old is at probably at some point there. They're gonna be, I'm gonna be a fireman, I'm gonna be a policeman, I'm gonna be a baseball player. Well, they, they might be, but I mean, you know, I, I, I'll put the, you know, I can only say it from my end. I mean, I, I grew up and when I was a little kid, I was like, I'm gonna be a country singer and I'm gonna be a boxer. Uh, 
the reality of those things coming true for most people don't happen. And you said, I'm going to be a pro baseball player, and you really made it happen. How did, how, how did you, how did you, how did that come about? Who gave you the tools to be able to, or was, was that God? Was it, were you just born with it in eight? How did it happen? Well, I definitely think that, you know, it's God-given talents for sure to, to start out with. Just the, I, I was always an athlete. I could always kind of do whatever, any sport. Um, I could just kind of do it, you know. And then mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have, you know, great teachers in, in baseball uh, growing up where I got really good lessons. Um, you really learned the game more and, and took those talents them further, I, I feel like I went out and, you know, the whole, the whole first person to get there and the last person to leave. Really? I believed in that. That's what I was told. And that's what I did. And so I think that that had a huge part of me sort of, you know, advancing in that. And uh, where a lot of other kids, you know, probably enjoyed playing but weren't willing to put in the work. And so... I think it was just a combination of right towns. I loved it, and I was putting in the work. And you were five, or you were eight? How old were you when you started? Oh, playing baseball. T-ball. Five years old. Really? Five, yeah. See, I was one of the bigger kids too, younger too. Like in, in T-ball, it was we didn't have fences. Uh huh. You know, and so I was. I was they didn't have fences there. in Georgia. Yeah, this was in Washington State, actually. <laughs> okay. And uh, I remember playing on this field. And basically like a big soccer field that they had a diamond on each end, you know, but it was like a wreck mm-hmm. in And so I would always hit the ball over the outfielder's heads and then we just keep going and I'm just on the bases. And I was went over the fence just because it, it kept going. I am so confused. See, I started boxing when I was five and, and, and played baseball once when I was an eight when I was eight years old, but they didn't have t-ball. Either they didn't have t-ball or I guess I skipped over it maybe because we had to, they were pitching and we were having to, to, to hit it like a pitch. And, and the only way I could get on base was to step in front of the ball and let it hit me. <laughs> That's not, I wish I was a joke, but it's not a joke. That was the only way I could, you know, and I, I was used to getting punched in boxing. So I was like, this isn't nothing. So I just step in front of the, <laughs> get on base every time. Start hurting though, so yeah, I thought started thinking. You know what? Well, no, I well, I mean, depends on where it landed, but you know. No, I definitely played t-ball, and then you know it turns into coach pitch, and then it turned into kids pitching. So you played all through junior high school, high school. Yeah, I played baseball from as early as I can remember, all the way high school, college. Did you have any other interests when you were younger? Like, did you do uh, uh, acting or choir or you know, drama class or anything like yeah. that? Um, acting, no. <laughs> I, I didn't, but I no. Always have loved movies and music mm-hmm. and the arts. In what way? What's that? In what way? Just a fan, or, or you went out of your way to? Uh, Grew up loving music. Uh, my parents were. Mm-hmm. So that's what I grew up listening to. Okay. The stuff from the 50s. The first concert I went to was the Beach Boys. Oh, that's cool. Paul Revere and the Raiders. Ah, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so that's, 
I just always love music, and then you know, movies. I mean, gosh, Sandlot. I mean, there's there's just so many. I'm just trying to think of movies that I watched when I was younger. Always liked it, but never really thought, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Mm -hmm. uh, sports, sports was it. What was your favorite kind of movie? When I was really young. At all? I mean, yeah, especially when you were growing up. What influenced you? Like comedy? Uh, was it drama? Was it you know, action movies. What, yeah. what, what did you, what, what, what attracted you to them? It's different at different stages. I mean, I can tell you that my favorite movie of all time is Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's, oh. It's the best. It's just. Gladiator's my second. Gladiator's amazing. Yes, it is. Actually, I just watched it on the plane. <laughs> San Francisco. I could watch fun. both of those movies over at least twice a year, three times a year. I love both of those movies. They're just loaded. I mean, Forrest Gump is like a million stories. And it is so much better than the book. The book sucks. I've never read the book. I've heard the book was terrible. It is. Yeah. I'm sorry out there if the Which author ever hears this. Yeah, usually it's the opposite. They say the yeah. movie's worse than the book, but this one, the movie's far better than the book. Which is very rare. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any other time that I can say that. And, uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption is mm -hmm. a very close second. Dumb and Dumber, I mean, that's comedy. I love Shawshank Redemption. I uh, love Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. So who's your favorite comedian and, and that type of thing? Oh, man. My favorite comedian, if we're, if we're just talking in general, mm -hmm. um, there used to be a guy named Pablo Francisco. Oh, he's fixing to be at Zanies. Is he really? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember watching him in Birmingham. And when I was in college, we watched this. It was Pablo Francisco live. Uh, Matter of fact, I think he's here this weekend. He's either here this weekend or next weekend. Is he really? Yeah, you need to go check that out. Man. Yeah. Like, I don't like to see if he's changed his routine at all. <laughs> but he, he was live in um, like Orange County or something mm. like that. It was hilarious. And we quoted him all the time. But then, you know what's really funny is that recently, um, and you know, I was like Seinfeld and mm. the Cosby Show and all that stuff. But recently, I'd say probably three, four years ago, I went and saw this comedian, his name's Tim Hawkins. Okay. And I got invited by a friend uh, to go to this show. And it was at a church, and it was a Christian community. And so... Um, was he telling dirty jokes? No. I was like... Uh, but it was funny, it's like, I'll go, you know. And I got nothing against Christian comedians, but I was like, this is probably not going to be funny. And it's going to be geared toward... Super hit you over the head, kind of the funniest comedian I've ever seen. I wonder if God ever tells anybody to go to hell. <laughs> I don't know. It's dumb. Comedian, yeah. No, no, not even close. Not even close. Uh, but I'm telling you, he is the he's the best comedian I've ever seen, Tim Hawkins. And the beauty of it was, I thought it was not going to be that great. Didn't have to use any profanity, like Santa. Mm -hmm. um, it just, it's a lot more thought, it's like rap songs that are just, you know, 
there's no there's no um, there's no gravity to it. You know, the thing about rap is what I when I when I grew up, I loved rap in the early 80s to mid 80s. I loved it. I thought this is the coolest stuff. I loved Houdini and LL Cool J and Cool Mo D and I loved Fat Boys and Beastie Boys and uh, you know it, it was just it was really fun and cool and and I, I like the way that they would make up their own words so that the word the, the flow would continue to rhyme and things of that nature and then all of a sudden it was towards i guess the late 80s it just got real violent and and that was a whole different culture that i didn't grow up in or understand and, and just kind of gravitated away from it you know but um loved i still love it to this day I'll, i love the beat and i love the but then all of a sudden it starts getting to things that i don't understand and and starts sometimes <laughs> being you know a little bit different different culture different world you know yeah. you tend to gravitate towards what you know and sometimes when it gets away from what you know you you don't lean toward it not that i'm saying people should listen to it i'm just saying it wasn't the world i was in yeah did, did you see the movie straight out of Compton? Yeah. i have loved it i thought it was a great movie it was a great movie and uh totally different culture than i grew up with that point being though those guys even though they were vulgar and it was like Mm -hmm. They actually were really smart, I think. I think they had a lot of, again, gravity to it. They had a lot of meat to it. Um, they really thought about the lyrics. It, it wasn't just junk. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, Dre and, and Ice Cube, and they, they, they have proven over and over and over again within the last 20 plus years that they weren't a one hit wonder and that they weren't just a one trick pony and that uh you know they had multiple talents i mean obviously dre went on to do what he's done and it's probably the most uh, uh made the most money of any other rap artist in history um I, I'm, I'm guessing and then Ice Cube has gone and created a whole other career in acting. Who would have yeah. thought that? And, and wrote the movies. I mean, Friday is a classic. Oh my gosh. He it's wrote it, great. produced it, starred in it. It's like, holy cow, how do you, you know, this is, this, this cat's got something. Um, so yeah, I mean, that has to be respected. Uh, and I did love the movie. And I thought their portrayal of the, of the real life people were, was just spot on. You know, they got a two coming out. There's a there's a part two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's about my understanding. It's about Tupac and Biggie. It's this it's this the second wave of what happened after that. I can see that. Yeah, it's too bad. I, I feel like uh, it should have been up for at least one or two awards. You know, but they got dissed. They they kind of did, man, because they it was really good, and I I don't agree with everything that. You don't agree with the black that the, that the blacks are being held out of Oscars? I don't. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't necessarily go that far into that. I do believe that they should have gotten some nominees, um, but uh, you know, I'm not part of the wave of stomping my fist. At sure, me. sure. If now, if if, if <laughs> I, I I don't know. I'm torn. I kind of I kind of believe it. Just feels. Is it a snub? Is it a, is it a legitimate snub to the black community? Or is it that there's just not enough black voters in the academy? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I think it 
maybe some things need to change in the academy. But Actually, I think that part is changing. I think they're fixing to change some of the requirements to, to become a member. Right, right. It's like just they have to have somebody of color in there because you know that's we gotta have diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, diversity is a great thing. The most talented people should be in there. And I think just like colleges, um, you know, they can get real touchy with the affirmative action diversity there, where you could have a student who is a better student, more capable, um, has worked really hard their whole life too, but they're not going to get in because the university has to hire somebody of a different ethnicity, mm -hmm. lower grades and everything. I get what they're trying to do, but I, I'm just a believer in the, the best person gets the job. It doesn't matter what color you are. But what if, and I'm just being hypothetical here and devil's advocate, but what if the other person hasn't had the same opportunities throughout their entire life? They may be they're extremely sharp, extremely gifted, and everything else, but they've had to fight twice as hard to get to that particular point as the other person. Yeah, I mean, that can play in, you know, that's, and that's what, that's what makes it a tough, that's what makes it a tough subject, because there's also been plenty of stories of people who have fought twice as hard, and they've now gotten the position where they can be above the, those other people in sure. for them. Um, it's totally possible. It's not as easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but it's, if anything's been proven, it's possible to do that and probably uh, feels that much better than having something sort of handed to you. Are you a member of the Academy? No. Okay. Did, um, um, if you were to have voted for, you know, one or anybody to have been nominated for something, who would you, would you know, which person would you have voted? You mean like if... if in, in straight out of Compton. Oh, straight out of Compton? Who, who, who amazed you the most? Who amazed me the most was Ice Cube's son. Oh, yeah. Because this was like his, what, first role, mm -hmm. first major role, and he did amazing. Mm. I thought he was incredible. I would have said Easy E, and the reason being is because I, I think it was kind of you know the, the Ice Cube's son is Ice Cube's son. You get to live with the guy. You've grown up with the guy. You know, you you you've, the material. Not only is the genetic makeup there already, but you know you've been building up to that character or playing that person your entire life. So the guy that played Easy E was spot on, and that was just something you know. Yeah, that's just my personal. No, 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 I, I, I totally get that. Like I said, I think it's just because he'd never really done anything before. And they and did make him earn it. Put a camera on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a totally different ballgame, you know. It's like, I don't, you know, I, and, I, and I actually heard that he wasn't just given the role. Like Took he, two years to get it. He wanted to earn it. Yeah. Ice cubes and you weren't just going to get this role. Like, you're going to Yeah. So, Made him take acting classes and, and so I think that's really impressive. We've seen people in the Academy Award it's their first thing for So yeah, I mean that's the one that sticks out to me. Okay. Wow. So let's go back to baseball. So you were playing baseball in high school. So Whereas, and you know, I know you said that when you were little, you that's what you wanted to do for a living. But when you were 
were there like scouts coming out to and see you or how, how did that take place? How did you transition from that to college and then from college to pros? Yeah, so in high school, I was both a pitcher and uh, I played center field. So every, every game, you know, every time I didn't start pitching, I was starting in center field. And my senior year, I started to, to gain some attention from different scouts and stuff. You know, I was throwing a lot harder and everything. Um, didn't end up getting drafted or anything out of high school. And um, had, had some different offers to play with teams. In fact, I really wanted to go, uh, speaking of college, you know, I wanted to go to Pepperdine University. Because I went out there, you know, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. My great aunt and uncle lived out in Santa Monica. And I went out to a Pepperdine camp and obviously fell in love with like the most beautiful campus in the country, <laughs> in Malibu. You know, you hit a home run and it looks like it's going in the ocean. Um, and they wanted me to come play with them, but they didn't have any more scholarships. So it was kind of like a, we want you here, you can be on the team. Um, hopefully we can have more scholarship available in the next few years. And that was just, basically that was a big financial decision. Because you know, to go to Pepperdine's well, it's like 50 grand a year. Ooh. Um, might be more than that. Okay, that, that hurts. Yeah, didn't want to <laughs> step into that debt right away. And so actually Birmingham Southern uh, came along in Alabama and they offered me a great scholarship, Division One school, uh, a little smaller than Pepperdine, uh, in the South, near home but not too close. I didn't want to. I didn't want to stay, you know, uh, too close to, to home. Or I think a lot of people do. They don't have the real experience. Mm -hmm. So, probably the best decision I ever made. Mm -hmm. I was going there and made amazing friends and. Uh, I was there for three years at Birmingham Southern. And I actually hurt my back pitching, but I could still play in the outfield. So I just became an outfielder. Um, and going from my junior to my senior year in college, uh, the university decided they were going to drop from Division I to Division Three, which was the second or third time in NCAA history that a school had ever dropped down from Division One. So our entire athletic program transferred to other schools. It was crazy. It was either you stay and you finish school at Birmingham Southern, get your degree on time and everything, or you transfer out and go play, continue your uh, athletic career at another school. Mm -hmm. So probably 95% of the athletic population decided to do that. And I went with my best friend in Ruben at the time to Lipscomb University. I remember playing that. In a midweek game, they're another Division One school in Nashville, Tennessee. We're like, ah, oh, it'd be cool to go there. Uh, you know, kind of get another city. We felt like we'd done Birmingham. And, <laughs> uh, you know, time to conquer another city, Nashville. Um, and you know, it was actually really interesting at the time because we had so many different options. Everyone knew about our program because we were we were really good. We went to the regional. I mean, we won our conference almost every year. Uh, at Birmingham Southern. And so we, we would call schools just to kind of see what would happen. Like we called the University of Hawaii. We said, yeah, we'd love to come play with you guys. We'd love to have you guys. But, you know, we don't have any. You were going to go to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then my friend John and I, John King, we were like a package deal, right? We're like, we're going to finish out. Was he your catcher? No, he was a pitcher, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we're like, we're going to finish out of college together. Okay. And so Hawaii wanted us. 
like your military battle buddy. <laughs> yeah. but, but it was like the, uh, what is it, section, uh, whatever it was with women's athletics where they had to have a certain number of women's scholarships or sky scholarships. I have no earthly idea. Anyway, affirmative or, action. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like affirmative action. Uh, which, but totally different. Um, it's like it, but not really. It's, it's like, just. It's like Concord Nashville? Concord Nashville. <laughs> one year. And uh Concord Lonnie's. Yeah. <laughs> Printer's <laughs> Alley. Karaoke. Uh, I remember uh, going there and seeing the lead singer of Lady Annabelle before he was the lead singer of Lady Annabelle. That's cool. But uh so anyway, Charles. What Char is Char Charles yeah. So anyway we, we went we went to Lips Kelly. And came in and was the captain the team right away, just had a great coach, and, and Coach Forehand, Jeff Forehand, who's still at the university now, and I mean, it was just a perfect segue, and he and I both played, and we both got drafted by the San Francisco Giants, um, so we went... Are you kidding me? So you're, both, you're still, the package deal continues yeah. to go from Lipscomb to San Francisco. So we were, we were from the same hometown in Peachtree City, Georgia. We used to play each other every year on some of the same teams. Uh -huh. Middle school, high school, went to rival high schools, went to the same college. And today you're married and have two kids. <laughs> we, we, we had to convince everyone we weren't gay. That is funny. Yeah, but that, you know, we played along with that. You know, that is funny. Jokesters, so along with that fine. But yeah, we both got drafted by the Giants and then And have insurance today. <laughs> no, go go ahead. And and then actually another guy we played with the Birmingham Southern, he got picked up by the Giants. And then another one of our friends who went to the other rival high school in our hometown and went to the rival college at Samford University in Birmingham. What? He got drafted by the Giants. So all of us are with the Giants. Okay. And it was just a crazy experience. How long were you with the Giants? Played two years with the Giants. Um, played up to AAA. Okay. And then uh, eventually I got, I was released. And then I had some offers to play with other teams. But at that point, it was, I love baseball, but I don't know if I love it like a lot of these guys around me kind of have nothing else. Mm -hmm. And sort of other things started to sh take shape especially in the off-season in Nashville, and I started to get an interest in other things, in those art things, like when I was a kid, mm -hmm. the movies, the music, and took an acting class, and that's when everything sort of turned over. So what made you take the acting class? Literally, uh, it was one of my best friends at the time, Michael Repol. Um, he played at Birmingham Southern too, and uh, went on to play pro with the Cardinals. He had a job here in Nashville looking for striker and medical. Okay. And um, he lived with us. We all lived in the same house. And he and I were watching a movie one day. Like, we just, he loved movies too. And we were watching a movie, and kid you not, 
movie is finished, end credits and all that. And we just start talking, we're like, I think we, I think we can do this. <laughs> I really think we can do this, because we always like to go out and things and talk to people and sort of like, you know, you make up stories and stuff and just sort of play along with it and mm-hmm. joke around with people, which is a form of acting. All right. And so, we're like, I think we can do this. And yeah, then, honey, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a doctor. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just see if they'll go along. Absolutely, I get it. And so, anyhow, uh, and just the thought of going to L.A., so we got the bug, you know, like, let's... So you went from wedding crashers to actors? Well, not from wedding crashers. <laughs> We're painting uh, a different picture. Uh, maybe we watched wedding crashers. <laughs> what was the movie that you watched that, that, where you said, hey, we can do this? Honestly, I, th- I think it was like Pineapple Express or something like that. <laughs> that is <laughs> awesome. It sticks out in, in my mind. I love that movie. Yeah, it was funny. And I, don't, I don't know why we thought uh, it wasn't the movie necessarily. It was just movies. You just, yeah, just a movie. Yeah. Okay. And so we looked up an acting class in Nashville. And at that time, there, there really was like one, one or two. So we went out to actor school USA. There mm-hmm. and uh, we, we kind of liked it, you know. It was like an adrenaline rush, mm-hmm. sort of like sports, but not like sports. Like you had that sort of that nervousness that could come up, and it was kind of exciting. Would you Would you learn in the class that kind of was it just the fact that you were out of your sports element and you were now in a different element, but yet you were finding yourself excel naturally at it that gave you that adrenaline rush, thinking I might have another gift. I thought I was not very good. Really. Mm-hmm. You know? What did they ask you to do when you were in there? We just went in and... Cold read or something? Yeah, read a scene with somebody else and, you know, I did everything that I should have done. My heart's just stuck on the page and you can't connect with the other person. Mm-hmm. But there was something about it that was just kind of like, it was cool. And I think the fact that, you know, like, we could go to L.A. and just really give this a shot. And here, here's really what it came down to also was we had both, we were athletes. Mm-hmm. Nothing's impossible. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We, we accomplished everything we set out to do in our lives, basically, which was become a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and nothing stopped us. Right. So why would this stop us? You know? Mm-hmm. It was just another thing, like, not even thinking twice about it, uh, not worried about not making it. It's like, do we want to go and do it? Do we not want to go? So you took the acting class, and you come out of there, and you're like, we're going to be actors. So what was the plan? Well, the plan was that I decided I wasn't going to pursue baseball any further. And he quit his job at Stryker. Great job. You know? mm-hmm. How long have you been there? Uh, I've been there for like at least a year. Okay. And um, then the plan was we're going to go to L.A. So we made the decision. Car. It was around this time because I remember it was near Valentine's Day and he had a girlfriend in Birmingham. And we, we packed up his car. I think we went to Birmingham and then we drove across the country to LA. Wow. Just packed up your stuff and took off. Literally. Did your family think you were crazy? My family is always, my parents, have, they've been really supportive of me, everything that I've ever done. I think they feel like I have a good head on my shoulders. 
mm -hmm. overall. And I think, I don't think they necessarily, they didn't think I was crazy. Um, <laughs> my, what I told my dad, I was, I'll never forget as long as I live, I was, uh, I guess I was in senior in high school, and I was doing really well. I was playing football, I was boxing. We had a school play in the fall and a, and a musical, I might have flipped, uh, in the spring, yeah. But anyway, so I, everything I tried out for, I was getting the lead, and I never acted before in my life, so I thought, I'm going to be an actor. My dad said to me, what are you, what are you, what are you gonna do when you graduate high school? I said, I'm gonna be an actor. I oh, know, I said, I'm gonna be in the movies. I said, you're gonna be in the movies? He said, well, who's gonna buy the ticket? I'm like, oh, yeah, so, uh, yeah. jokester. But anyway, so they didn't think you were crazy. You went to L.A. And I, I should probably back the story up just for a second. Okay. Because beep, this, is, beep. this is important, too. And, I mean, it's even more crazy, probably. But, so, I had told my aunt and uncle who were living in Santa Monica. Okay. What was the day? 60s, 70s, 80s? Yeah, maybe the 60s. Okay. I think around, around then. Did you do anything of, that we'd know? Um, the one thing was, I believe the title was Behind the Iron Curtain. Okay. It was the Iron Curtain, but didn't, didn't have an illustrious career or anything like that. It wasn't... It was about Russia? What's that? Have you seen it? Was it about Russia? I have not seen it. Okay. Actually. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, she she got out of there and made it to the U.S. and, and everything. And yeah, she had, so she acted a little bit, and honestly, so she really liked it. I knew that they'd find it interesting. I've always had a great relationship with them. And my uncle. And this is your aunt. This is my great aunt and uncle. And so, are you Jewish? No. Okay. No, no. Uh, and and she 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 married into the family. Okay. And uh, my great uncle, he was he was an athlete. He was playing uh, for the first. He played on Team USA for the uh, first Olympics that they had volleyball. Oh wow! In Tokyo, in Japan. You come from a family of athletes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were bred to do this. I know. Now, now, now he's switched over to tennis. He's the number one doubles tennis player in the world for like four or five years running, something like that. Now. How old is he? He's 80, 80, 81. Now, when you go and get your ass kicked by an 81-year-old man playing tennis, you, you, yeah, I'd be like, oh, this is humiliating. Oh, he, he can beat me for sure. So anyway, I tell them. like playing golf with Arnold Palmer. Smart <laughs> man, you get better with age in golf. Because uh, you get smarter by trying to crush the ball. <laughs> so I tell them that I took this acting class, right? And so they said, oh, that's, that's neat. Why don't we tell our friend here in L.A. who knows an agent? I'm like, okay, you know, I live in Nashville, whatever. Okay. They, yeah, they just know somebody who... who There's an agent who, in Nashville. Who knows an agent. Right. Who, who, no, what in L.A. Oh, in L.A.? They're in L.A. So they're in L.A., you're in Nashville, and they know an agent. And they just call him and mention your name. They know somebody 
Oh, wow. This even gets even yeah. deeper. The tentacles run deep here. <laughs> Arr. Crazy, like I said, crazy. And so they tell him, and actually this agent ends up calling me out of nowhere. He says, hey, I heard about you uh, through a friend. Uh, I, heard, I heard that you, you know, play baseball and something. I got this audition uh, that I can get you into for a commercial. What was the commercial? It was for one a day men's vitamins. Okay, that's like old people, isn't it? Um, I, I think they probably would take offense to that, right? One a day they're trying to reach everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, they didn't think they'd say that answer. Either. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyhow, he's like, I'm going to into this audition. I know nothing. I've taken one acting class. Whoa, what a great opportunity. Oh, yeah, tell me, what do I need to do? And uh, he says, well, the audition's in two days. It's out here in LA. I need you to be in LA, and I'll get you into the audition. And again, I'm thinking, man, this is a great opportunity. Didn't know there's thousands of auditions every day in LA, you know, that really this was probably not, not the most wise choice, <laughs> you know? And so, but, hey, show up early, stay there late. Um, Did you have any lines? An opportunity. Didn't, didn't have any lines at, for that one. Um, and so, so, this is a great opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up, you know? And, what, and, and it, was, it was as what? You were playing a baseball player? It was a baseball commercial. So you got to be you in the commercial? Yeah. Okay, okay. But I still had to fly across the country for basically, you know. Now, when you walk into this this audition, where there like other guys look just like you, or oh yeah, there's guys who play pro ball and different stuff like that. And so I went into the audition, did the audition, uh, and then I flew back the same day mm-hmm. to Nashville. And about a week went by, and I called this agent and said, "Hey, you know what's so like? What's the next step? What happens?" Next, and you know, he's this old uh, Jewish guy, Joe Kovitz, <laughs> and uh, he's like, ah, they probably, you know, they probably, you know, they're, they're not gonna call, they didn't call in a week, you know, nothing's gonna happen, but, you know, thanks for coming. And I was like, okay, well, again, this is the athlete, this is nothing's impossible. If there's anything that I can do, just let me know and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do you think that's the athlete in you, or do you just think that's just something just you're born with? Competitor. All right, all right. <laughs> you know, or woman. A person yeah. of yeah. character. Sure. Or a woman. Affirmative action. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or not. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> uh, so he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let you know. And he actually ends up calling me later that night and he says, hey, they, they will see you again for the callback. And this is for the commercial. And you're living in Nashville. And I'm living in Nashville. Okay. I'm just counting up. Oh, never mind. Your parents are with Delta. I was sitting here counting up the tickets, and I was going, wait a minute. This is chancy. Yeah, it was still chancy, man. It still it was not like free. Well, that's right. You still got to get a hotel. Did you stay? Did you spend the night when you went to L.A.? Yeah, I stayed with my aunt and uncle, though. Okay. Uh, so you had a place to stay, and you had a... I don't think I stayed, or if I did, it was... It was I left really early in the morning because I had to be back and do stuff in Nashville. So you had a flight, and you had a place to stay. So, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Yeah. I'm just I'm calculating the risks. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Still very risky. Still very like off the wall, you know. Yeah, and it is very off the wall. How old were you when you did this? Two. See, that's a very interesting age. 25 is when you're old enough to really say you're an adult, but you're still young enough to be able to get away with making some, some mistakes. If, if say, it, you know. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. Um, so he says, yeah, they want to see the callback. And I, what's a callback? You know, I guess that means they want to see me again. Okay. Were there other people that would call back or just you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's other people. And I said, okay, well, what do I It's great. What do I need to do? need to be here tomorrow, callbacks tomorrow. And this happens a lot. Really? Especially for commercials, it's like, man, they'll let them in the day before. And so I'm just thinking, okay, I'll be there. I told them I'd be there again. Opportunity. Knocks and you're coming swinging. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm not gonna make the excuse. And so I got on a flight really early the next morning. And because of the time change, you know, flying to the West Coast, straight off the airplane, um, went straight to the callback, and you better believe when I walked in the audition, I just got off the plane from Nashville, you know, thinking it would be better my chances or something, and I met with the, you know, the, the producers, the ad agency, the director. What'd you wear? Baseball uniform. No, you did not. Oh, yeah. You wore a baseball, <laughs> baseball uniform. Really? Man, you, Did anybody else do that? So if you're auditioning for a police officer, you dress up as a police officer? Oh, I think that you should, yeah. Because I've actually always been told that... Uh, is that a method this thing? It's not necessarily a... Here, here's what it is. It's not necessarily a knock on casting directors, but some of them just... They, not, you, the less that they have to imagine, the better. Okay. You know? So if I walk in be playing a police officer and I got a tank top on and stuff, they're not it's hard to see me as a police officer. Okay. You know? So why not help them out to see what they're looking for? Yeah, that makes sense. So I go to the audition, I do that, and then I get to fly back the same day, go back to Nashville. And then uh, Joe Colquitz, the agent, calls me the next day. And he says, you're the luckiest son of a bitch I've ever met. <laughs> that, those are his exact words. He goes, you just booked this commercial for one of the men's vitamins. It's a national commercial. So what that meant was that, I mean, national commercial is as big as it gets. Mm -hmm. and Pay well? Uh, it did, yeah. Over, over time, it got him. So you were like, this is freaking awesome. Not like I do it, I can get paid to do it. And dude, by the way... Um, again, going back to the like the athlete that sure, sure. do anything. This is the first audition that I really went to in LA and uh -huh. I got the job. I'm like, dude, this is this is nothing. <laughs> 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 this is nothing. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, definitely uh, pay pay and pave the way out there. <clears throat> and so Oh so then you move there? This was just before the, the movie. Okay. Since you, you know you're the luckiest, the luckiest guy ever. And so I, mean, I wasn't in the Screen Actors Guild. So okay. They had a Taft Harlow me, which means they paid a penalty just so they could use me in the commercial because they wanted to use me, mm -hmm. and that got me into the Screen Actors Guild. 
Oh wow! But you know, there's people out that are in LA for years who can't get in. Beating the streets all day long. Who can't yeah. get in the Screen Actors. Kind of like Nashville, people beating the streets all day long can't get in the you know get a record deal. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And so that's why I had to back up and sort of tell that story. And then again, my friend, that was it. It was like, all right, if this isn't a sign to do this, you know. I don't know what is. It was your calling. You were getting called. So you, you, didn't you and your buddy, uh, what was his name again? Michael Reeple. We packed up his car. Okay. And drove across the country through the biggest snowstorm probably in Texas history. Uh, and then <laughs> made it all the way to L.A., got an apartment, and I remember... Was it hard? Was what? Finding an apartment in L.A.? No, it was just more expensive. Really? Oh, because, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Um, no, we, we found a great spot, actually an apartment that I ended up staying at for quite a, quite a long time. And How long did you live in L.A.? We set up shop there. Uh, I was there for like five and a half years. Really? Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I did. I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm where I am now because I love Nashville. Mm -hmm. But L.A. was great for a number of different reasons, obviously the weather and all that, but just... Opportunities to act. Opportunities. Um, a lot happened in my life in LA and just really shaped, you know, there's a lot of culture out there and it's way different. Uh, throwing yourself into something like that really kind of can help give you perspective. Okay. And so... Did you yeah. go on a lot of auditions? Oh yeah, lots of auditions. Did, did you ever get like deterred? Did you ever feel, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't my calling or did, what, what happened next? We got out there, and basically in our apartment we had a TV. We sat on the floor and had a couple like sleeping bags for a while, and that was the deal until we got some furniture. And then two months after being out there, Michael decided he didn't want to do it. Two months? Two months. He, I think he quit that job. He was making pretty good money there. He probably didn't have the same artist heart, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, and to really sort of battle it out and go through. I think he's and he had his girlfriend back in Birmingham, which now he's married to and they have a kid. So So his heart was being called somewhere else. Yeah. Sure that makes sense. Yeah. So he went back to Birmingham and I was in that apartment by myself. Oh wow. <laughs> for how many years? Um, oh well five and a half years. Well I was in, in he was only there for two I was in the apartment by myself for five and a half years, but for the next probably six months or so. Okay. Uh, it was just me and that apartment. So I was doing the battle myself. Oh, wow. And uh, basically, and that makes him sound like you abandoned him. No, it was, it was fun. He did what he did. He abandoned you, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but here's, here's the deal is that, again, you know, land the first commercial mm -hmm. um, and all that happens. Right so your, na your national commercial basically is funding your ability to stay there and, and, and yeah. okay. Yeah, I'd say so. And um, then this audition for Moneyball happened probably four months after I moved to LA. What? Four months. No way. Four months. Four months. No wonder you didn't leave that apartment. <laughs> Four months, man. So did you know about the project? I mean, did you know who all was involved with the project whenever you auditioned for it? Uh, I did, yeah. Did you wear the same uniform that you, you, that you used for the, uh, the commercial audition? I did. I did. 
Okay. So when you went in, did you have lines to read? I did. Okay. Now tell me about this experience. Yeah. So I remember my friend Devin Long, who actually his brother played for the Titans for years. Okay. Ryan Long. Um, Devin became a quick friend out there in LA, and I remember him telling me, he was like, "Oh man, this look at this audition here, or this uh, break we call the breakdown. Mm. Look at this breakdown here. You'd be this about." This movie's about baseball and stuff. It's got Brad Pitt, but this would be perfect. And so... Uh, it was called Breakdown? Well, Breakdown is basically... No, that's what the money ball was called. That was the original uh, name of the no, movie? No, no, Breakdown just means that it shows the title of the movie, who's involved, oh. who's casting <laughs> it, what's it about, here's the roles, the breakdown. Got, okay. Yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and so, you know, my agent... Joe Colowitz then became my agent to LA. Oh, wow. Signed a contract and you were gone. All right. Um, and uh, so he submitted me for it and I went in and I had to read for the role. And so I went into Sony, um, the studio there, which I think was the first studio lot that I'd ever been on. Mm-hmm. So that was cool, you know, just like, well, this is it, man. This is it. And so I went in and read with Francine Maisler. If you look at her resume, be prepared to be just blown away. Really? She's like the, probably the top casting director out there. Just incredible resume. And so I ended up reading uh, with her um, at at the, the casting agency right there on the lot. And then they brought me back in um, and I read with Bennett Miller, the director. And Francine was there too. Read with them and then uh, they called me again and they said, hey, you know, Obviously, I knew this was eventually going to happen because the, the role was, um, you know, there was baseball in it. Mm-hmm. And so... So you thought you were shoo-in. Yeah, but uh, the role was for Chad Bradford, and he was a submarine pitcher. I was not a submarine pitcher. I had to do some work on that. But I knew if anybody could do it, I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they called me and they said, hey, we want to bring you out to the field, out to USC. Did you like almost crap on your pants and they're like, what, what, what? At first I was like, this is really awesome, but having having played professional sport and been around some pretty, Mm -hmm. have met some amazing people, I'm like, you know, this is another guy. He's just another guy. Right. Until you walk in and you're actually with the other guy. Until, this is the one thing that did happen is I went to that, that meeting and I walk in the room and Brad's sitting there sitting there. Mm-hmm. Bennett's there too. This is pretty much a meeting with, with Brad. And the first thing that pops in my mind is like, you know, Benjamin Button, Troy, you know, mm-hmm. those, those instant thoughts. But then after that, I was like, he's one of those down to earth guys. We talked about, you know, him being from Missouri and being from Georgia and just, just normal conversation most of the time. And we probably read the script maybe once or twice. He just wanted to know who you were. He, would, he didn't he, know who I was. Yeah. Get along and that everything 
was a producer on it too. Mm -hmm. And everything would be cool. And um, so had that meeting, hung out for a good half hour, just shot the breeze, you know. So it was more about feeling each other out to see what the compatibility was than it was about seeing how you read lines together. Pretty much. That is cool. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. We read, we read the lines. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was just like once, and you could tell that it was just like a formality, if anything. Mm -hmm. All the reading had been done. I did that with the director before, like we were the casting director. Um, this was just, hey, let's hang out and see how we are. And he was just a down-to-earth cool dude. Couldn't be that makes me like him even more. That is so... Cool. See, I, I like hearing stories like that, especially about people you like, you know, their movies and everything. And I hate to hear stories, or especially about people that are celebrities, and and then you find out people who know them, and they're going, yeah, they're really they're dicks, you know, they're not yeah. really nice. No, I can I can only say good things about him. That's and, awesome. Uh, and so I left, and they called me like the next day. And the next day. Basically told me, hey, you got the movie. They want to offer you the role. I guess it was like Brad and signing off. So in your very first movie, you're you're with Brad Pitt, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jonah Hill. You're in a major blockbuster, Moneyball, that went to the Academy Awards. Wow. I bet it did it change your life overnight. I wouldn't say that it changed my life overnight, but it brought me right into the I'd fold. Maybe yeah, brought me into the fold and. I can, it was almost like skipping levels, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Um, and looking back, I see how fortunate I was. It was crazy, unbelievable blessing, and just like, I, I could not have dreamt that up. Right. You know? The hell, they might make a movie about your life someday. Maybe they will. Right? I don't know if we go see it, but maybe, maybe they will. I mean, think about it. You went from being this college kid, professional baseball player to you know, making movies. You know, everything you ever set yourself out, everything, yeah, it sounds like a movie itself. I mean, who does that? If they want to do it, we can talk about it. I mean, that, that's, that's, <laughs> mm, that's some Matrix stuff there. Um, <laughs> Matrix, yeah. I still don't understand Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, it was a great opportunity and shot the film for two months, you know, with all those guys. And basically just living the dream, mm -hmm. you know? And um, even still to, to this day, I mean, one of my friends shows you the, shows you, this will show you the kind of guy that Brad has. I mean, he, uh, we're at the world premiere in Toronto, at the Toronto Film Festival. The movie happened, standing ovation, you know, it was great. We go to a party afterwards and it's just this long table. And it's like me and my girlfriend at the time, and, there's Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Jonah Hill, Robin Wright, Chris Pratt. Oh gosh. Um, you know, all, all these people just fill too often. We're having dinner at the same table, we're like doing it here. <laughs> and but afterwards we're up on the rooftop, everyone's, you know, having like a celebration cocktail and uh, just telling everyone, you know, congrats, you know, good job, doing the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, before I could go up to Brad. Brad scurries over to me and he hits me on the shoulder and he's like, you killed it, man. Oh my and goodness. And then he turns to my girlfriend at the time and he's like, how about your boy, huh? He killed it. And I was like, 
man, thanks. I was just coming to say congrats to you. That's the kind of guy he is. That is and, incredible. And people will, and I have a friend who actually lived with me in LA who saw him at a party one time. And uh, he was like, hey, yeah, Casey, you know, Casey, I live with Casey Bond. He's like, oh, man, he's a good egg, man, good egg. <laughs> You know, it's like, he's a good actor. I can't believe that to do with stuff like that. No, no. He's just, and you look at all the work that he and Angelina are doing, whether you, uh, uh, you know, agree with all their politics or whatever, they're doing amazing stuff right. and helping so many. They're really using their star power for good. For the, for the, yeah, for the betterment of humanity. Yeah. That's, that is incredible. So you go from making this movie to, to, to going to all these premieres and doing this. So why'd you leave LA? Well, um, it was a combination of things. I loved LA, but I knew I didn't want to live there forever. Okay. And Unless you were I, doing a movie every year, or would I, that have changed things, or do you think no, it was just okay? I don't think it would have. So to me, it was great, but it was logistics. It's extremely expensive. First of all, if you want to buy a house there, you don't get much. Right. Right. Um, and it was very crowded, the traffic, just a lot of things. I was like, I, would, I don't think I'd want to raise a family here. Okay. I wouldn't want to do all this. And so I started working on a film that I produced with my producing partner, Brad Wilson. And we shot it here in Nashville. And I always knew, not always, but probably about two and a half years after I lived in LA, I was like, I'm, I'm setting the bar when you live in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And then this film came about, and we raised all the money for it, and we were going to shoot it in Nashville. And man, it was just like I had I had wanted this so bad to come to Nashville, get a house there. And there's a lot more going on in the South now mm-hmm. with film, you know, you know, sure. all the stuff that's going on. So I'm like, I think I can do this from Nashville. And seriously, like my, <laughs> it was a lot of it was a lot of prayer. And it was a lot of really having to trust that. And, you know, I kid you not, when it looked like things weren't going to happen, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Boom, it came through. We got to film the movie. I found a house. This is the Don Meyer movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. We found a house that I liked in Nashville. And we got a house while we were filming. And, and man, it just all came together. Big life-changing things. Huge, huge life-changing things. And, you know, Nashville's like booming now. Right. How long ago was that when you moved here? Probably about a year, five months ago. Not long at all. So when you came back, wow. And it's, you know, obviously accelerated even more. Do you think you've done, I mean, you, you you are a legitimate working actor, producer. Writer, you, you're all of that stuff, but but but, do you think you've done more work since you've been to Nashville than you've been in LA? Or, I mean, do you think the opportunities, especially with the experiences and people that you've met and the relationships you've cultivated, do you think that it's allowed you to do more here than you would have in LA? I don't necessarily think it's allowed me to do more. I think I've been more centrally focused on a couple of things. When I'm out in LA, when you're first out, you're scrapping it. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I had some great breaks, like the money ball and stuff, but you're still out there, you're scrapping, you're trying to make it, you're doing just about everything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, reasonable that, that you can just to, to be doing stuff. Right. You know, and, 
but you went from actor to producer. Yeah, and that's when things kind of turned the corner, I think, because then I was more focused on, I wasn't waiting on phone calls. Mm -hmm. I'm making phone calls. You're making your opportunities. Right, right. Every day is still awesome. But maybe one day I'm hustling, hustling. Yeah. <laughs> probably have to pay no, I'll probably have to pay some kind of right yeah, royalties for that. <laughs> I have no earthly idea. So yeah, man, but it's and I, I think that there's probably more commercial opportunities in LA, but the sacrifices that I make by moving here are worth the cost because I love that. Okay. You know, and I've always thought if I'm going to make it in this business, mm -hmm. commercials are great. They pay well and all that stuff. I don't want to make commercials. I mean, if somebody wants to give me a call, I'll just commercials all day long. I'd love to do it. I want to make movies. Right, right. You know, I want to make films. That's what I do, you know, I, I kind of threw you into the writer category, uh, and I don't know if that was correct. You do, you do write? I mean, a little bit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider my like self a. You know, I haven't written a screenplay that's been purchased or anything. Okay, so but you have written a screenplay. It's a focus of mine. Okay. But I do enjoy it whenever I get the chance. So you have a, a movie coming out called "I Saw the Light." Uh, so how did all that come about? It's another crazy story. I'm ready for it. So basically, uh, with that movie, I was living in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Just finished filming the Dalmar movie, um, which should come out this year. And I got an audition for this Hank Williams movie. Where was it at? Where was the audition? Mm -hmm. I actually did it. Uh, did a tape and sent it in. Okay. And so they requested a tape, and I remember getting it. I was like, Oh man, they're making a Hank Williams movie. Mm -hmm. And it just Oh, okay. You know, Thought about it. Reason, I just had this weird feeling about like, you were like, this is either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. Yeah, it could be done. Like, I couldn't tell what the budget was or anything. Right, right. You know? And so I remember just doing the audition and just kind of like, honestly, sort of half assed. Uh -huh. Not that I half assed the character or really doing it, but I probably would normally take do more takes. Mm -hmm. But I think I just took it once. Like, that's good. That's just like, that's where did you do the filming? I mean, the, the recording of uh, it. Actually, a friend of mine uh, at at uh, her house she had set up, mm -hmm. and so I filmed it over there. Was it, it was like just you in a backdrop or something? Yeah, just me in a backdrop and lighting and decent camera. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you the red? <laughs> no, I did not. I don't know who red for an audition. Did that audition <laughs> and sent it off to you? Or read it? Somebody probably does. <laughs> <Some idiot>. uh, <laughs> so we did this uh, audition, sent it off, right? And uh, they got back with my agent and they said, hey, you know, director really liked it. Mark came and director really 
really liked it. How many lines did you say? It was a good two scenes. Oh, really? So you said like, like... Hey, come on, man. What do you think? I don't want to say some lines. Six to eight lines or something to that effect? I can't remember. It was two, two scenes. Okay. So, <laughs> You're like, quit busting my balls, yeah, man. man. Okay. Just a face. <laughs> and, uh... So they got back to my agent. And they said... With an upright bass. Like in a day, you know? Okay. And I was like, first of all, I don't have to go get one. Mm -hmm. And I said, will you tell him that I can play the guitar? I'm musically inclined, I can do that. And I'll play him a Hank Williams song, and I'll send it in when they accept, accept that for now. I'll work on the bass, tell them all over the bass. And they check this. Yeah, tell them, do some guitar, do a couple of Hank Williams songs. What'd you play? You sing it, dude? Um, I, uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I don't know if I really had to. Okay. I think they just want to make sure I can play the instrument. Okay. And, and so, but I will. Right. Um, so, hey, good looking, and, and maybe I saw the light. Ah. And so I sent that in, and it's how oh, we, we really liked it. Oh, and when I, when I did it too, I flipped the guitar on its side, and I, I slapped it with my fingers, and I said, I'll play your bass, too. Very clever. So, you know, hey. just kind of, you know. What was it you said earlier? You were taking the, the, the imagine, you were, you, were, you were putting you in that position so that they didn't, what was it you said? So leave, taking the, ah, can't Taking there, you, you leave the least, um, you don't want to rely on their imagination. You want to present who they think they want. That is awesome. Yeah. And you did that. Then what happened next? So then they uh, they called back and they said, this is this is great, but we're actually thinking of a different role for him now. Uh, Jerry Rivers, we're thinking, uh, we'd like to remember Jerry Rivers, does he play the fiddle? Oh, okay, <laughs> now that's not, <laughs> that's that's a little harder. Yeah, and I said, why? Well, I, 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 I don't play the fiddle, but I will learn to tell them I will learn be a part of this film. So now you're getting excited. Okay. Now I'm getting a little bit more excited. Yeah, it's like they're interested. Yeah. This Hank Williams. I mean, I love Hank Williams. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, tell, and they said they want to see, she, she called them. They said they, they want to see something on tape tomorrow. Tomorrow? One day. You have to play fiddle in one day. Hours. They said. How the hell you pull just, that off? Just something. You know, you can just learn to play the chord, like play some his song. Okay. Know? And then I just said, fine, I'll do it. You know, and it kind of takes me back to the day of final, fly to LA, final. You know, it's there, I'm not gonna not. That athlete it. spirit in you, yeah, I'm not gonna be conquered. I will, I will do this. I will, I will overcome. So, so I went down to Music Row and went to a fiddle shop. I didn't know they had violins in the music couple, room. There's a couple here, yeah. Really? There's one over there. I can't remember the name of it now, but I didn't know that there was a like a, a fiddle exclusive well, violins, music store. You know, okay. You know the difference between a violin and a fiddle? I, I didn't know. I didn't Just think. Oh, get out of town. Okay. 
And so I went in there and I was like, I need to rent one of these. And, and I kind of told, there's just two girls and they went to Belmont. It's like, this is what I'm doing and I'm trying to learn this stuff. And so kind of, for some reason, the song Jambalaya, I love that song. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, do, you, do y'all think you can show me anything? Mm-hmm. And so they started to show me a little bit. And then I went home and looked at tons of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. figuring out the chords, how to do it, you know, and it's not, it's a very, it's a touchy thing, mm-hmm. instrument. So I'm working on this stuff, I call a friend, I'm like, do you know anybody who plays violin? And she knew somebody who was like a violin major uh, at, at Belmont, and, and I was like, can you just have her at the audition the next day so she can just, I'm not going to be able to learn everything that day, but just so she can show, like, that I'm using the right technique. I just want it to look right. So, so, and so you literally played jambalaya <laughs> on the fiddle in your audition in less than 24 hours. Yep, I learned, this is what I did, I learned the intro to jambalaya. Okay, alright. I played that on the fiddle, and then I played the chords to, um, it was either Hey Good Looking or I Saw the Light, I played the chords all the way through mm-hmm. the song. And uh, I turned that in, and then they called me and they said, we're going to give you the role. Uh, you see, oh, you are so much braver than I am. You know what I would have done? I would have been so scared. I, pro- I would have probably done everything that you did up to a certain point, but I would have been too chicken to go into it <laughs> bare naked and send it that way. I would have probably played uh, uh, the music real loud and then played along with it to make it look like I was playing like I, you know. I did some of that too. I was able to, to dub it a little bit. Not that I was cheating the music, but oh, okay. I had it in the background just so I could play along with it. Oh, okay, okay. okay. See how in my head as you're telling me the story, I'm thinking it's all cold, you know. Oh, wow. And then that other stuff was just, but they heard my chords and they heard me playing so they offered me the role and I said, absolutely and they hired a guy named Chris Scruggs to come out and teach me the fiddle just about every day. Mm-hmm. How long do you practice every day? A couple, of, you know, a couple hours every day. Where did you stay? Where you, I lived in Shreveport for like three or four years. How long, how long did you stay in Shreveport? Well, I, I practiced here first. Okay. Chris, so Chris's grandfather was Earl Scruggs. Okay. So he comes from a, a long line of country music yeah. heroes. All right. Chris is probably the best musician I was learning from the best. He can play everything incredibly. And so, so by the time you get to Shreveport, you've got to... I know all the Hank songs. I still feel like the lesser of them all because the other guys could all play uh, really well. Strong musicians. Strong musicians. And, uh, but I got in there and just, and just did it, man. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we're in Shreveport and... and uh, let me ask you this. So you just said something very important. So you walk into a room, and for the first time in your entire life, you're not the best. As a matter of fact, you're, you're the least inclined to be in that room. And yet, you still found the confidence to do that. That, once again, goes back to your athleticism career. Is that correct? Or, or were you, was your self-confidence ever lacking? I think it's a good assessment. Of course, I 
felt uh, a little less than in terms of like I knew I wasn't as good as them, mm -hmm. but also I was an actor and they weren't actors. Oh, now see, I, oh, oh, okay. So there's kind of like that. Yeah, you got me here, but I got you there. A okay. Little, a little trade off right. thing. And, and, you know, man, it was, it was the best set I've ever been on. It was the greatest people uh, as a collective that I think I've ever worked with. Tom Hiddleston as Hank Williams. And just every, the crew, I mean. Who's Audrey? Uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Okay. She was uh, Full House, right? No, her, now her sisters are, you know, Mary Kate and Ashley. Okay, okay. But Elizabeth is, no, she was on Full House. But she's their sister. She's their sister. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, uh, but just the crew, I mean, anyone from the grip and electric to the director, I mean, it was just an amazing group of people. And we had so much fun, and everyone was so collaborative. I helped them with the acting side, they helped me with the music side. How long were you in Shreveport filming it? Oh, probably a total of you know, three weeks or something. That's all? Man. Well, me personally, okay. they, they probably filmed. Where'd you stay while you were there? Took the hill. Okay. You know, so it was a good place. Did you ever go out at night and go to any of the the um, we went to hangouts? Places. Yeah, I mean, really, there's just like a lot of casinos there. Yeah, right. You ever go play blackjack? I didn't. Didn't. I really didn't. Stayed out of casinos. Well, one of the casino, but I just haven't seen one. We, I really enjoyed going to all the different places to eat. Oh yes, so Cajun food. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I, Cajun food is my favorite food, without a doubt. Yeah. Did you ever eat crawfish? Oh, yeah. We had everything. I think one of my favorite places there is a little place called Herbie K's. Hole in the wall in a bad area. Herbie K's? We had a couple tables in there. It was delicious. Oh, Herbie, wow. Herbie K's, you should, you should look it up. Okay. So... You, you had the idea that this is either going to be a, uh, a great movie or a bad movie. And obviously you walked away from it thinking that this is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had um, artistically. So, and music, I mean, yeah. You got to throw it all in there. Yeah. And, and all your passions into one particular film. So, you know, is this going to be another uh, 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 walk the line? I, th I think it's got potential for that. Walk the line was incredible. Uh, I think this is set up to be like a walk the line for Hank Williams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it comes out March 25th. Okay. Uh, all over the country. Sony Classics picked it up. How many times have you seen it now? Twice. Okay. I've seen it twice. And I'll see it probably two more. Did you cry? No. <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't cry. Um, I was really proud of that movie, though, and everyone. Uh, well, it's such a powerful story, that's why I asked. I mean, because he, he really he lived such a dark life, you know? It is a powerful story, and it, it holds nothing back. I mean, it's a real dark kind of movie. I okay. Mm -hmm. The 
movies based on biographies. And uh, she said it was the most accurate depiction of Hank Williams that she's seen. Really? For yeah. someone like that to say it, I mean, that's, I don't think you can get much stronger compliment, you know. They didn't try and Hollywood it up. How was Tom's portrayal of Hank? He did incredible. Really? And yeah, being from England, you know. Right. He, he sang all the songs, recorded it all here in Nashville with, with Rodney Crowell for months. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did all the music. He really went all out. Wow. Lost, lost weight. Yeah, because Hank was a string bean. I mean, you know, he drank and never ate. Yeah. So he really did, he went method on this thing. Well, I wouldn't fully call it method, but yeah, he did everything. He started smoking cigarettes and all that stuff. Really? That's he not true. He And Tom is another one, just an amazing guy. Um, just, he'll, he'll always be a friend, you know, and, and constant contact. And just, just a good dude who deserves everything that so hearing what you sound like, he might possibly be up for an Oscar next year. Well, they're, they're shooting to try it. It was actually supposed to come out last year, but they didn't think they had enough lead time to market it right for the Academy Awards. And I think I think there's some nomination that could come out of this film. Wow. For, for some of them, Elizabeth is amazing too. Really? Well, yeah, Audrey, Audrey was kind of a complicated character, I, I understand. I've read a lot about her. I, apparently she, she was the, uh, the brains behind the machine, and, and, but also wanted to be a star herself and didn't have the talent. Yeah, I think that's evident in the movies. <laughs> oh, it is? They make that evident? Oh, in a funny way, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if it ever shows who's the brains behind it other than Hank. Well, the, it's my understanding his mother was at first. His mother was very much involved. And then Audrey kind of... Audrey and, and Mama Flash. Well, yeah, because I think she kind of took over and, and that's, that started the whole who controls Hank thing. That's uh, my guess, I think. I, yeah. I may be wrong. I, mean, I have my history off. I, I mean, dude, I am so... I have been waiting for this movie to come out for so long. I did audition for it, and I did. I was on film too, but I am not obviously a very good actor. <laughs> I can act like a boxer. I can act like a country singer, but I can't act like a you know. I can't even remember. What, Felton Pruitt, I think, is what I. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if Felton Pruitt made the final. Neither did Mike Rogers. <laughs> See, that's why I didn't make the movie. They, didn't, they knew they weren't going to make it. Oh, I don't know about all that, but uh, uh, that would have been fun. I'm a huge Hank Williams fan, and I cannot wait for this movie to come out. Dude, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. I mean, this has been enlightening, uh, learning about all of this and, and hearing about all of this. And, you know, I, I, there are kids out there that, you know, that might hear this, and, you know, they're dreaming right now. One day when I grow up, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that, you know. And, and, and I think hearing these stories makes them realize that, you know, we, we tell kids all day long, you can be anything you want when you grow up. But I think somewhere along the, the line, we as people stop believing that. I don't know whether it's the adult in us trying to talk us out of it or, or what, but we continue to feed that artist's heart and we continue to believe in dreams. And I believe that dreams are meant to be lived even after we open our eyes. So you have done it, my friend, and, and I uh, 
I think you've done a great job of it. God, that sounded like, I don't know, where'd that, I got just pulled that straight out of my butt. I don't it's even know. Holy Spirit. <laughs> hey, amen. <laughs> You're right, man. I think here's the difference. Uh, you know, some people, you know, don't tell a kid he can do whatever he wants. You're just gonna, that's a bunch of crap, man. Because, first of all, I do believe you can. You do have the ability to do whatever you want. And the thing is, if you're chasing that, even if you don't become exactly what you wanted to be, like let's just say, let's take this example for instance. Um, you know, let's take a, a, somebody who wants to be a professional football player, but they just don't have the talent at the end of the day, but they want to be and they're going to work hard and they want to become that. Well, they may get to a certain level Let's say they get to play in college and they just never get to play pro football. Dream doesn't happen exactly mm -hmm. like they want to do it. But the fact that they're chasing that dream until the very end mm -hmm. of it, that's led them to a one other place where they can now dream in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's terrible to tell somebody that they can't be something or someone. They need to chase it until they either reach it or they get to a place where they realize, okay, I've gotten this far, it's time to maybe take, you know, peer, peer around and see what else is out there. Because if they wouldn't have chased it that far, well then, I don't think they'd have the opportunity for this next thing. But, well, I mean, I just, that's, I, I, I get what you're saying, but doesn't, doesn't the adult you ever get in conflict with the child you? I mean, because they're still, I, I guess I'm speaking out of my, we're, we're going off down a, a tangent, but um, I, it's like, the adult me wants to say, you can still do this, whatever else. You've reached this level of whatever success, but the child and the child's view of what that success should have been, they differ. Okay, I'll use this for an example, you, for what you said. The child wants to be the NFL football player. The adult recognizes I've gone as far as I can go. Do the two sides ever you know, go, what the hell? No, you've, you've reached, you know, you, you did it. But the child's still going, yeah, no, you didn't. Um, I see what you're kind of saying, but... I sound like, we sound like we're drinking. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe the... Uh, no, because I mean, you know, you, you're, you're changing over time and your, your views change. And so I don't think it diminishes what the child and you wanted to do. Maybe there's some disappointment. Is you will realize because you chased that dream mm -hmm. and because um, you were trying to really actually go after it and not just give up or try and do something else, you're now better equipped and further along to do whatever that next thing is. So the dream actually really continues just in a slightly different form to where if you wouldn't have dreamed in the first place, I don't think you would be set up in a good position to really continue to try and accomplish whatever the next dream or goal is. Dude, you are flat out inspirational. <laughs> I mean, do, do you ever like go and talk with kids about this kind of stuff? Um, like at schools and stuff? I do try and do that. And, uh, and I do talk about this. You're like this hidden gem in Nashville that I nobody like knows about. I like to do it more. Um, I would love to be able Baseball thing, and mm -hmm. I did become 
Absolutely. Did I play in the major leagues for 10 years? No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But it led me to what was the next door. Right. So what's, your ne what's, what's Casey Bond's next project? Which, what are you working on now? That's a good question. I've got some dreams that I've been chasing. Mm -hmm. Look at that, man. See? Always the dreamer. All right, champ. Well, I enjoyed having you on. And March 25th, I'm going to be in the theater watching I Saw the Light and watching you play Jerry Rivers on the fiddle. Um, we're good. We're good. <laughs> we're good. This oh, is going to be a spot for podcasts, right? Absolutely. This is podcasting heaven right here, man. I hope it will go. Wouldn't. Oh, <laughs>